where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Before we dive into the episode today, we have a little surprise for you. A number of you have asked to know more about behind the scenes of our podcast and the other people involved. Well, today we're joined by Barry Hall. Barry has been a mentor to both John and myself throughout our career. He was a huge help in setting up this podcast, providing guidance on equipment, audio editing and graphic design since the inception of it. He has also asked us to mention, and this is a direct quote from the man himself, his rippling abs and charity work. Welcome, Barry. How are you feeling? I'm very well, thank you, James. It's nice to be here. You're excited? Yeah, I've been a a long-time follower of you guys. It's such a a lovely, wholesome and entertaining show you've put together. And to watch it evolve from the beginning has been wonderful. Yeah, I was going to say, Barry, you've joined at a good time because it's going to be a standout for the season so far. Really good episode. For me, it's really nice because my childhood memories of Cheers are mostly the Woody period onwards. And actually, I caught up with the, the earlier ones afterwards. So for me, this is a real sort of a real nostalgia trip. Today, the three of us will be talking about season four, episode 13, Take My Shirt, Please. It aired on the 9th of January, 1986, was directed by James Burroughs and written by David Lloyd. I guess the best place to start with this episode is with the cold open, which perhaps a parody on something we've seen for many episodes now, but was welcome nonetheless. Uh, It's where Cheers has almost become self-parody. What else can we say about it? The opening, I think, really shows Diane's, the way her character's developed. I remember her early character was a bit more taken aback by the humour and banter in the show. And now she really seems to revel in it. And that wry smile she gives at the end when, after they all call Norm's name, shows that she she's almost settled in. When Norm comes in, you all yell, Norm! Make a big fuss over him. Is it asking too much for me to get the same treatment once in a while? She's right. Try it again, sweetheart. Yeah, thanks. Hello, everyone. Norm! <laughs> That's better. I just said, it shows... Her development of embracing that humour and camaraderie, but also how she wants to be part of the gang. Who doesn't? But I think something that we've flip-flopped back and forth through throughout this sort of season is we really like Diane some episodes and uh, not so much in others. I'd say this is more of a positive episode for her because uh, she's, she's not been great in all of them. <laughs> Often it's just, Diane, you with your, with your nonsense. I think when she's more of a support character and she's not being distressed by everything, in this episode, she's very much able to just sort of sit back and sort of carry Sam along. And she gives these constant smiles, like she almost knows everything that's happening and she's just waiting for them to sort it out. It's a good episode, much about Sam's legacy, I would say. And uh, their history, Sam and Diane's history, is part of that, but not much. Yeah, but it's, it's an odd episode in terms of Sam's arc because... In essence, nothing changes for him. The whole episode seems to be one blow to his confidence and he has to just come to the realisation that his sports career is over and now he's got this new life and he's got to embrace it. It only took them four seasons to get to that point. One of the things which has been annoying us a lot throughout this series about Diane happens in this episode again, which is so far in a series where she plays a waitress, she's constantly getting out of being a waitress. And this is a core example of where she goes, by the way, can I have the afternoon off? And that's one of the key things because it's happened in almost every episode so far. And Carla alludes to that as well. She makes a point of uh, saying exactly what you've just said. She's exploiting Sam's goodwill and or lecherousness. 
is what she's doing. She knows she can get away with anything because of her history with Sam, but Carla's having none of it. Sam shows that she's got him wrapped around her finger, really, because he's, he repeats Carla's line with that uh, sort of little cheeky wink at the end, like, yeah, you can get away with this. Do you think there's any love growing between them? Between Carla and Diane? Yeah. Not as much as between Sam and Diane or Sam and Carla, which is an interesting relationship. I I like seeing the Sam and Carla one because most people refer to the Sam and Diane relationship, but the Sam and Carla relationship for me is far more interesting. Hmm. All of them have been in this series so far, Barry. There's been hints to all of it. (laughs) Once Diane and Carla got very drunk and Carla lied about her kids. I do remember that episode. That's where uh, she claimed that Sam was uh, one of the fathers. In this episode, Diane asks for a bit of time off to work at a charity auction on TV, which is selling various sports memorabilia. And of course, Sam should donate something. Now, do you think that was a deliberate move on her part? Or do you think she picked up the cue from Carla? I think she picked up the cue from Carla because Diane does not know much about sports. We've seen in many episodes, she's tried to insert sports analogies and she's only slightly better than John and I had inserting <laughs> sports analogies. <laughs> I think it was uh, good intentions, maybe. Yeah. But they turn sour fast. It was much going, Sam, your sports personality, you do sports. Why not donate a sports thing? But yeah, so he donates his jersey, his old Red Sox jersey, hoping it will get some money for charity. Let's add it's a charity uh, telethon. Is that what you'd call it? Yeah, that sounds like the right term for it. Do any of you know what number his jersey is? I knew you'd ask this. I'm going to guess, was it 16? It was 16. Points for Barry. Oh yeah, off the mark. Barry's coming in, getting them points. Was it really a guess or did you have it on a piece of paper in front of you? (laughs) I, I've got the uh, the script in front of me, so I can't get caught out. Extra points if you can say which Red Sox picture actually bore the number 16 in reality. You can have that one, Barry. Thank you, John. Nope, no idea. James, I'm going to throw it back to you. There were actually two, so you could have said either, but you chose not to. Jim Lonborg in the 1960s, and his picture is the one which is behind the bar, which doubles as a picture of Sam in his career. And also Rick Miller wore number 16 for the Red Sox during the years that Sam's fictional career took place, which was the mid-70s. There's a lookalike that they've used to almost place Sam in reality. Yes, you can't see their face much, but it looks enough like Sam or Ted Danson that they can put a slightly blurred photo of it. Mm, That's very clever. Well, regardless of who actually wore it, in this episode, nobody wants this jersey. No. It's a, what's the phrase called? It's not a poison chalice. A distasteful cup. Yes, that's what it is. It's like from Indiana Jones and not the Holy Grail, the one with the Holy Grail. The Last Crusade. That's it. And there's lots of cups and people go, ooh, maybe this shiny one. Maybe this shiny one's the Holy Grail. And he's like, ha, you're wrong. Now you must die. Whereas Indy, good old Indy, he goes, it's actually the dustiest one because, well, it's the one that no one's picked because it's covered in dust. James, you've just brought some back some extreme nightmares from my childhood. That's one of the worst scenes I watched as a child. How much would you bid on the jersey, James? I would bid, and this is bearing in mind not being much of a uh, sports fanatic or expert, but I would be willing to bet at least 40 to $50 pounds. <laughs> I was quite surprised by the amount in the show when $100 was the initial bid, which didn't seem like much to me, but Sam Malone seemed relatively happy with that first bid. Oh yeah, because he got it for free. <laughs> <laughs> See what you've done there. 
But did you think that was enough to satisfy his ego, if you like? I think there was just desperation to get a bid because otherwise it will go to the place where uh, sports items go to die. The table of doom. And our friend Bobo. I was disappointed in Mr. Bobo. I wanted to see him. You know when they say don't write a gun in your script if you're not going to use it? (laughs) (laughs) Never got to see the monkey. Chekhov's monkey, the lesser known writing rule. But this goes back to their ethos of writing a sitcom that you could watch without the visuals and it still works. Yes, exactly. And they do have a screeching monkey sound effect in the background (laughs) on the TV. But you're right, you never see it. It is disappointing. Yes, and the context is if items don't sell, then they go to Mr. Bobo's table and he uses them essentially as toilet paper, this monkey, from what I can gather. The subtle subtext of it, maybe. Meanwhile, Norm has a storyline going on. Ah, yes. Norm has a new client to impress that he's trying to get business from. Farmers. Yes, the farmers, the brew bakers. The couple they're trying to impress, as John alluded to, they're farmers, they're dollars dishwater, allegedly. <laughs> I think it's a good time to go into the cast. Yeah, who are the brew bakers? You sounded more Scottish than I did there, buddy. <laughs> We have Robert Simmons as Mr. Brubaker. He also appeared in The Exorcist, The Six Million Dollar Man, Charlie's Angels, MASH, Dallas, Dynasty, Quantum Leap, Deep Space Nine, ER, and Catch Me If You Can. Among, and John will, you know, roll his eyes as I say this, because I probably say it far too often, many others. And we've got Frances Bay as Mrs. Brubaker. She also appeared in Kojak, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Chips, The Jeffersons, Happy Days, The Karate Kid, Family Ties, Fame, Blue Velvet, Saint Elsewhere, Twins, New Heart, Wild at Heart, Hunter, Matlock, Quantum Leap, Firewalk With Me, The X-Files, The Ben Stiller Show, Clueless, Seinfeld, Grey's Anatomy, and many more. These are two veritable stars that have come in for just a walk-on role. Well, you, you haven't heard what they played in all of these things, Perry. We've also got Patrick Cronin as Bert. He also appeared in All in the Family, Archie Bunker's Place, Splash, Hill Street Blues, Different Strokes, Dallas, Rocky, Five, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Doogie Howser, MD, Full House, Mad About You, Seinfeld, Home Improvement, and many more. But that's not all. There's also Earl H. Bollock as announcer. He's the announcer on the <laughs> telethon. That, that is his surname with Bollock with a U after the B. I think your accent is confusing us again, James. <laughs> Earl H. Bullock. Keep saying his name. It doesn't make it less funny. (laughs) Earl H. Bullock is the announcer on the telethon. He also appeared in Smokey and the Bandit Part 3, St. Elsewhere, Doogie Howser, MD, Die Hard 2, Coach the Practice, That 70 Show, ER, and many others. And now there's time for John's favourite character of the show, and John demands a spin-off. It's, of course, Al Rosen as Al. So, yeah, Norm's trying to impress the Brew Bakers. It's not going well. All of Norm's usual methods of charm are not working. You mean they don't like pubs? They don't like bars. They don't like food. (laughs) It's also interesting that he's twisting his own character to suit them. And they're so far removed from him that it's simply not possible. He's getting more and more flustered. So he has to bring in the big guns with Cliff. And again, he's dismissed Cliff at the start of the episode, shunned him from this situation because he thinks he'll be an embarrassment. I hit the bricks, pal. (laughs) How does Cliff solve any social awkwardness? He busts out the facts. Yes, James, he's a man after your own heart. (laughs) He already has it, Barry. I've got a little figurine of him and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Previously in this season, though, we have seen Cliff carrying numerous different kinds of vegetables, saying that they're different things. So there's been a potato which looks like Nixon, a squash that looks like Hawaii. I'm just saying, luckily, this episode, he didn't have a vegetable 
because that wouldn't have landed well. That's true. Would be an odd thing to be confronted by a shapely vegetable. (laughs) Norm dismisses Cliff purely for those egocentricities that is friends with Cliff. And these are probably some of the qualities that Norm enjoys in Cliff. And he's dismissing them when actually there will be other people who enjoy them as well. I enjoy them. And sometimes I embrace them and add them into my own life, much to the mixed feelings of others. And uh, how does Cliff charm these people? Cows. Here's a little known fact. The uh, cow is domesticated by the Mesopotamians. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it wasn't uh, originally a milk-bearing animal. Oh, no. It was originally used as a guard animal for the Chinese emperors during the uh, Chongqing dynasty. Yeah, just when you think you know an animal. And they're suitably wowed enough to uh, invite him round for the weekend. Uh, Norm loses his clients, but Cliff's gained some friends. And isn't that what Cheers is all about? It's where everybody knows your name. Which actually brings me on to an interesting part about the episode throughout, and in most Cheers episodes, is the amount that the unspeaking extras in the bar play a role in conveying that community. And particularly when Sam is not getting bids on his shirt and is complaining about this or trying to reason with himself out loud, you can see the looks around the bar. This whole bar is concerned for his well-being. We've often said Sam is the captain of the ship that is the Boston Bar Cheers. And all of these extras are members of his crew, all supporting this ship on its 11-year voyage. The extras in this episode reinforce the idea that Sam... Although he's not famous in the outer world, he's now famous in this bar. That's where his fame lies now. What happens to the jersey? It becomes very close to uh, toilet paper for Bobo. It does indeed. But Diane buys it and Sam's offended, so he takes it back, returned to sender. And then Sam buys it in the guise of a woman, which is actually a really nice joke because you know it's coming, but it's really nicely delivered. No, no, no check. Um, I'll pay cash and pick up the jersey. Later. As John alluded to, it does get back into the table, but then someone else buys it for $300, but their intentions are... What's the word I'm looking for? They have an ulterior motive. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's altruistic. They were just fed up, weren't they? They were fed up of seeing that shirt on TV. It's somewhere between being fed up of seeing it and feeling sorry for the shirt or its previous owner. This goes back to what we said at the start about there being no positive outcome for Sam. Every one of these purchases is a blow to his ego and something he just has to live with. He does get to get like a bit of a blowout, kind of forces Diane to criticise him. Because eventually it does end up on Mr Bobo's table and Mr Bobo, he does unspeakable things to it. Do you think he sees Diane as a voice of reason? In the bar, throughout the episode, you see Carla, Woody, uh, Norm, all suggesting that Sam is still this big hero. But... He doesn't get that off Dan and he wants to hear the truth. I mean, yeah, I think that's kind of been a theme throughout quite a lot of the seasons. James mentioned earlier the Carla-Sam relationship. And a lot of that's built on this idea of Sam being the ideal man. And it's something which she always idolises him all the way through. And I suppose Diane's bringing a sort of realism, but also a pessimistic kind of view on his glory days and that they are over. So I think it's kind of like that weighing scale. But I think, you know, you need a balance between the two. He shouldn't like admit that they're over because he does still have fans. He's just not going to sell a jumper for a lot. She keeps his ego in tow. And because he's potentially in love with her, that's why it resonates so much with him. He forces Diane into a kind of I told you so situation. Well, maybe you should. I knew it! I knew it! I knew you couldn't keep your big fat mouth 
shut Oh, God, you think you know everything, don't you? In your entire life, you've never said, I don't know, or I think this, or in my humble opinion. Oh, no, you always just say this, and you just say that, this, that, this, that. You know, you're nuts. You are crazy. And in your twisted little mind, you probably think you're going to make me crazy, just like you made Fraser crazy, just like you make everybody crazy. But you're not going to make me crazy. You want to know why? I'm going to tell you why you're not going to make me crazy. Are you listening? Here it comes. I don't know. And I'll tell you something else. You don't know either. Nobody knows why you're not going to make me crazy. So stick that in your hat and smoke it. And that's how the episode ends, with, as Barry said repeatedly, where nothing good comes to Sam, except that cathartic nature of yelling at Diane. And Diane kind of accepts that that's the catharsis he needed. There's this acceptance that he was an ex baseball player and now he's an ex-ex baseball player he has a good job it's kind of a sort of acknowledgement of maybe the glory days are behind him as Barry was saying that groundingness that Dan gives him is a good thing one thing this episode is lacking is much woody there is a lovely moment with him though when Diane is on TV and she tells the terrible joke how many surrealists does it take to screw in a light bulb how many the fish. Cut back to the bar and Woody's the only one who laughs. And you, you question whether that's because he understands or simply just really wants to enjoy everything. I think he is optimistic in nature. And perhaps he does have that sense of whimsy about him, which allows him to understand surrealism more. He's like a Mark Twain character, like your Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, that country boy going on an adventure to the outer world. Yeah, and everything's still shiny and exciting, and which adds more weight when there is a problem with Woody. You feel it much more because he's so bubbly and upbeat. His reaction to that joke really showed that. He had another good sort of one-liner, which was when they were watching the auction and they'd sort of moved the jersey to the Mr. Bobo's table, uh, like a clock came up a potato powered clock which then he wanted to put all the money towards which i thought was quite a nice little bit as well there's been some good episodes of woody in the season so far so i suppose it's nice that there are a few small moments within this episode there was enough to show characterization in this episode even if he didn't have much of a story or plot would you say woody's your favorite character through cheers then barry you said you had sort of reminiscent memories of this kind of era of episodes i think so because the age i was when i watched this woody was very much the clown with quick sort of one-liner laughs based on him not understanding things. I think as a youngster, that really appealed to me. And it's only later that the more nuanced humour became more understandable. Watching back, though, it was it's interesting how many people struggle to go from coach to Woody because they'd become so used to coach. I was the opposite. I had to go from Woody to coach. That was a complete swing for me. And now I couldn't choose between the two. I think they're both fantastic. You hear that noise? That means it's time for trivia. Do you want to kick off with a question for the team, James? Whoever answers this first, you get a point. So far, Barry's leading with one point. He knew Sam's number. According to Diane, which other sports personalities have donated their athletic accoutrement? Is there a name that's something like Heinbacker? I don't know, James. One has been mentioned quite often and is a favour of Carla's. Sam Malone. I can't remember. It's your boy, Carl Yastrzemski, or Yaz, Bobby Orr, and John Havelcheck. In Norm's conversation with the brew baker, he lists off some classic dairy products. This is kind of just an open question. See how many dairy products you both can uh, name. Well, I'll, I'll get in there first with cheese. Milk. Now, this is exactly where Norm struggled. So, milk, cheese, yogurt. It's like a dairy ping pong. That would be a very messy game. <laughs> I've just smashed a yogurt into your back corner, James. Oh my. 
No, I have to come up with another one. Uh, fondue? Isn't that just hot stuff that you dip stuff into? Barry's won that because you got stuck, James. Here's another one for you. It's about snacks. I like snacks. What favourite snack does Carla tell Norm is new in stock when the brew bakers first arrive? It's taco-flavoured rinds, isn't it? Taco-flavoured pork rinds. <laughs> yeah. Barry's winning the trivia, coming in, defeating the reigning champion. <laughs> I normally just have to go, don't know. Another question about the brew bakers. What does Norm say the brew bakers are like? Something like corpses but lacking the rouge or something? Dead people without the rouge. A point to John. Very good, John. Okay. I think you uh, bounced a cheese off the side of the table there, John. A trick shot. <laughs> I'll go with that question, James. Give you a chance to get some points. Throughout Cheers, we've got hints of Sam liking various kids' TV shows, namely The Flintstones. Snoopy's always been there. In uh, this episode's what do we sort of get a hint towards it, a, a kid's show that he likes? This is when he confuses Bert and Ernie as a topical news show. More points to Barry. How much do Carla and Woody secretly raise before hearing the jersey is being sent to Mr. Bobo's table? Just $100? $113? Barry's the closest. If this was the prices right, Barry would win, but it's not correct, so neither of you did. <laughs> $116 and a pledge for a quart of buttermilk. <laughs> what plans do Cliff and the Brewbakers have for the weekend? What plans do they have? What is their rock and roll weekend consisting of? I know they play Yahtzee and there's a drink in there as well. Or a food. I don't know anyway. Charades or charades, depending on how you pronounce it, either way. Food and Yahtzee, which... Sounds quite lovely, but I wouldn't want to do it for a whole weekend. That's right up Cliff Street, though. Just a final quick one. Do either of you guys remember the name of the guy who actually bought the jersey? Because his name I thought was particularly, you know, poignant. Bert. Bert Simpson. Ooh. And we've actually had Bart Simpson appearing in Cheers, haven't we? We've had Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart. That's the final call at the bar. Been a good episode, hasn't it? We saw the adventure of the shirt. There's a word. Is it... I forgot what the word is, where something is representative of the whole, and I think the journey of the shirt is representative of the journey of Sam, where he used to get attention in one way or another, used to be on TV, used to be famous, and now not so much. I think that's a nice analogy, James. Quite deep. It's almost as though I made notes. <laughs> Barry, as this is your first episode, every week we have a, a special we use to toast the episode off. Would you like to choose today's special drink? Okay, I will choose a... This might be misconstrued. <laughs> <laughs> There's a drink called a chocolate monkey that they used to serve when I was younger in TGI Fridays, and it's got a banana liqueur in it. It's a chocolate milkshake with a banana liqueur. How old were you having, when you were having a chocolate monkey, Barry? Too young for liqueur, but somehow that sneaks uh, under the bar. I'm picturing a sort of... Eight your old Barry having his banana liqueur, chocolate monkey, going home watching Cheers, loving Woody. You've just nailed my childhood, John. <laughs> That's absolutely my life. What are we cheering to? I'd like to raise a glass of uh, chocolate monkey to Barry. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, John and James. It's been wonderful. Well, cheers to old sports jumpers, dairy products, ping pong, sports and dairy. What a combination. On that note, Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers podcast. Mm -hmm.